And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a king wearing a magnificent crown. No, Dad, that's not it. Oh, really? Let me try it again. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a powerful, well-trained soldier. No, Dad, you did it again. That's not right. Okay, uh, how about this? And this will be a sign for you. You will find a democratically elected president. What? No. A trendy motivational speaker. No way. A big tech CEO. A movie star. Time traveling cyborg. No, no, none of those are right. The shepherds one couldn't find any of those. Okay then, little Miss Know It All. What did they find? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Oh, that's right, a baby. Does that even make sense? A, a baby is totally helpless. Yeah, but if Jesus didn't come as a baby, mm -hmm. then he would have known what it was like to grow up. Ah, but wait, why did he have to grow up? That's easy, to save us. Ah, well then that means that the best part about Christmas is... The baby. Right, the baby. Oh, well, I guess it's time you get some sleep. We got a big day ahead of us tomorrow. No, we're not done with the story. Okay, just a little longer. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is. So if you were writing the story of the, the arrival of the Messiah, the Savior, the one that you and your people had been expecting and hoping for for so long, would you pick a king? As that guy did when he began to read the story to his daughter. Now he, he was clearly trying to make a point and she corrected him. She was all over it. God love her. She was all over it. She's like, no way, dad. That is not how the story goes. But the truth is, I think most of us probably would have written it that way if we were the ones writing the story. And I, I say that because if you, if you look around at the people we hold up as heroes in our world, right? 
oftentimes they are athletes or in, in books and movies, they are characters that have special powers or abilities or authority or all of these earthly things. Essentially, they are humans on steroids or exceptional humans above and beyond humans, but still human nonetheless. And yet God says, look, uh, human's not going to get it. Human isn't going to solve your problem. The truth is, in order for me to really save you, essentially save humanity from itself, we're going to need something else. We're going to need someone who isn't merely human. We're going to need me. We're going to need God himself to show up in the flesh in an unexpected way to save us from ourselves. And as, as we get into this season, this Advent season, and really the word Advent is, is really just means just to anticipate. That's all it means. It's an anticipation of what is to come. In this case, it's an anticipa- anticipation or a buildup to the celebration of the birth of that Savior, that baby. That baby, as he read out of the book of Matthew in the video we just watched, he read out of Matthew 1, verse 23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God shows up himself. So for the next four weeks, we're going to walk through this Advent time, this, this time of excitement and building up as in a series we call Behold, behold, the Savior comes. The goal is to celebrate the ways in which faith in Jesus Christ allows us to see and experience the world in a wonderful and unique way. We're going to look at texts both from the Old Testament and the New, and we'll recognize that the gifts of faith and joy and peace and renewal came to us through the birth of a child of our Savior. The verse that that gentleman quoted and that I just quoted out of the book of Matthew is actually originates in the book of Isaiah. It fulfills a prophecy. In fact, it is the first of many prophecies Jesus fulfills from the Old Testament. It's the first one listed in the New Testament. In Matthew's gospel, in the 23rd verse, Jesus is already fulfilling the promises that God had laid out. Today we're going to begin by looking at that faith that began far before that moment that Matthew wrote it down. We're going to go go back and look at the text that he was sourcing, that he was quoting. That is that can be found in the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 7 verses 10 through 17. And I'm going to read out of the ESV this week. I know I normally read out of the CSP, but the ESV has that word behold in it. And, and it's, it's also in the, in the CSP, just translated into a different word. It's translated as see. But I want to make sure we're catching that. We're grabbing that word behold. If you read along with me, we're going to see where this prophecy begins, this prophecy of a coming Savior that is not a king, not a soldier, not a celebrity, not a musician, not someone who's just a really great and wonderful speaker, but something different, something unique. He is fully God and fully man and something very different than we could have ever conceived of on our own. 
So if you read along with me, it's Isaiah chapter 10, verses 10 through 17. And again, I'm going to read out of the ESV this week. It It says, says, Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord God to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary man that you must weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, there it is. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. As Isaiah is writing this prophecy, he's writing to under the reign of King Ahaz. It's, it's referenced right there in the beginning. A, the, the, the kingdom of Judah, at this point, Israel, God's people, I should say, are split into two nations, Israel and and Judah. And King Ahaz is the king of Judah, and he's under pressure from the people of Israel, the other half of God's people. But more importantly, and probably bigger, is he's under pressure from Assyria, this external threat that threatens to essentially destroy God's land. And Isaiah calls Ahaz and Judah to call upon God, to, to be the resolution, to deal with the pressures from the outside and from the inside and to, to solve the problem. God even invites, invites him through Isaiah to do something unexpected. He says in verses 10 and 11, he says, Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Put me to the test, he says. I will show up. And he says, let it be as deep as Sheol. That means or as high as heaven. He's trying to say no matter how big you can, the biggest thing you can think of to to ask, to test me, to see if I'm here, if I'm going to deliver you, if I'm capable, if I can do it, go for it. I can't imagine God asking that, just going, go for it. To the ends of the universe, I can dream bigger than you, God says, and I can solve problems you haven't even thought of yet. Prove it. Test me. Go for it. And, it. and Ahaz says, not doing it. Not testing you. Now, it could be that, that it's because David admonishes earlier in Scripture, don't test God. Don't go down that road. You do not want to test the Lord your God. That is to say, you should assume already that he's going to be able to handle whatever's coming down the pipe, whatever difficulties or challenges or pains or oppressions or forces or whatever's coming your way, he's going to be able to handle it. But I'm inclined to think that in this case, Ahaz, like so many other kings and judges of of Israel before him, Ahaz is so deep in the weeds of the pressures and the difficulties and the pain and the agony and the fear He's just saying, you know what, God, I'm not even going to try this. I'm not even going to go down this road. I'm not going to take you up on this. 
one of the biggest challenges I, I think we have in our relationship with God and truly having faith and truly trusting that he is worthy of the test, that he can handle whatever comes down the pipe, as big or as little as it might be, that he really is in control, that he really does have a plan. I think one of the biggest challenges we have is that we are people of the moment. We are people of whatever we are experiencing right now is our worst difficulty. It's our big challenge. And we want it resolved right now. If we are in pain, we want that fixed right now. If we are afraid, we want that healed right now. If we want uh, a relationship resolved or to flourish or even just to bud and develop, we want that right now. And, and when we can't have those things, when we are afraid, when we are in pain, when, we, when our world is falling apart around us, maybe we've lost our job or we're going through a massive amount of change, right? When we're truly afraid of what's coming next. And I think that word afraid kind of fear grips our society right now. I think this is such a moment, a moment similar to that where people are afraid. They're afraid the economy is going to collapse. They're afraid of COVID. They're afraid of government intervention. They're afraid of being shot. They're afraid of not being able to defend themselves. They're afraid. Fear is everywhere. It is running rampant. And in those times when we are feeling that, when we are emotional, it is really difficult for us to give up even the slightest bit of what we perceive to be control over the situation. It's difficult to accept the notion that we are to depend on God to solve the problem. It's difficult to be patient. And if we read in this text today, in the text that Matthew is referring to, this original prophecy of the Savior that's coming, something interesting, the writer Isaiah and God himself as a result don't give a time frame. They don't say that when these days are coming to our father's house, to our nation's house and our people's house, it says in verse 17, such days that have not come since that day Ephraim departed from Judah, that have not come since this grand old time when Israel was together, right? I'm going to give you these days. The problem with us is that it doesn't, we can't predict when it's going to show up. We, we can't predict when it's going to happen. There's no time frame. There's no indicator of when the response will be. And quite frankly, it's hard to wait. Especially when we can't see, feel, and touch the outcome. Ahaz couldn't. And because he couldn't, he chooses alliances with other nations rather than waiting on God, rather than truly trusting him, and rather than even beginning to put him to the test. He says, no way. I have some control over this situation, and I'm going to lean into that. I'm going to solve it my way. That's how I'm going to deal with it. The problem is that he doesn't see the world as God sees the world. Uh, theologian John Calvin uh, is known to, to makes this illusion or this draws this illustration around glasses around spectacles is what he this is the word he uses because it's old English but around glasses and the need for glasses and how we see 
the world. He says, just as eyes when dimmed with age or weakness or by some defect, unless aided by a spectacle, discern nothing distinctly, so such is our feebleness. Unless scripture guides us into seeking God, we are immediately confused. We have a lot of difficulty truly seeing the entirety of what's going on clearly. We only see what's in front of us and we don't see it well. I remember when I, I turned 40, um, I <laughs> thought I was going blind. <laughs> I really did. thought I was going blind. I went to the eye doctor and he told me I had um, presbyteropia, presbyteropia, which means elder, elder eyes. I have old man eyes. That was, that was the formal diagnosis. And he gave me an option at the time. He said, look, we can write a prescription for you. And I never had glasses before. Or you can wear readers. And I tried readers for a while. And, you know, readers helped some, but they were never quite, they were never quite good enough. They never, they always gave me a headache. And, and I think that is how we see the world sometimes when we aren't truly trying to see it as God would have us see it. At the end of the day, we can't. We're trying to see the world either through eyes without any kind of spectacles, as John Calvin might say, or, or we're trying to see it with readers. We have some help. We have some understanding of what's going on around us. We try very hard to gain that understanding, but we still end up with a headache. We, we still end up stressed. We still end up falling short. We still end up not understanding and truly seeing the world as it is. Well, we have a disadvantage. God is able to see the world from afar. Not only is he able to see the entirety of the present picture, he's able to see the entirety of history from beginning to end, from start to finish. He knows where everything and everyone fits, and he knows what timetables are the best timetables to resolve issues, even if it doesn't feel like it's going to happen on our time frame because quite frankly, it probably isn't. It's gonna happen on God's time frame, And that's really, really hard, but I think, I think really, isn't that the fundamental thing that makes faith, faith? Faith is a capacity to see things, the present, in the light of eternity. It's to see things that have not yet happened and to trust that regardless of the uncertainties, recognizing that we cannot clearly, clearly see everything the way God does, recognizing that he does. Faith means trusting that whatever that outcome is, whatever that timetable is, it's the right one. And infinitely, importantly, infinitely better than anything I could figure out. I mean, the truth is, Humanity, since the fall of man, since we messed up the world, has been <laughs> trying for thousands of years to fix it, right? We've tried different political systems. We've tried different thought processes, different philosophies. We have tried so many different methodologies that are within our power and our capacity. Many of them were developed and implemented by people that are way above my pay grade. They're far more intelligent than I will ever be. And yet here we are. Here we are still fighting disease. Here we are still afraid of death. Here we are still 
shooting each other sometimes. Here we are still fighting for power, fighting for money. Here we are still fighting for survival. At what point do we recognize that we don't see the whole picture? And that maybe we're not capable of seeing the whole picture. Faith in God, which is what Ahaz is being called to by Isaiah, what Jesus is calling us to when he comes as our Savior, as a baby in a manger, he's calling us to a faith that allows us to move into that uncertain future because we know that the one who can see clearly, the Lord God himself, gets it. He gets it when we don't. And I think that that has a tangible impact in our moment. I think that has a tangible impact as society changes, as our economy changes. Maybe, Maybe individually, more individually on your level at home as your life circumstances change. Maybe someone in your life becomes very, very ill. Maybe it's you and and so you have to adjust you don't know what's coming next you don't know whether or not an illness will permanently debilitate you you don't know how many healthy days you have left you don't know those things maybe it's a a personal change in your job maybe your job's been terminated or maybe the working environment has become so difficult that you've decided that you have to move on for the sake of your own health changing jobs is scary Maybe maybe it's an upcoming relationship. Maybe maybe you're you're engaged. You're going to get married. That comes with its own set of changes and and fears and uncertainties because you don't know for sure how it's going to work out. Maybe you're having a baby. Quite frankly, one of the most frightening things that's ever happened in my life was having a baby. The daughter, my daughter, when she came, Rachel, unexpected and. Frightening, absolutely frightening, the scariest thing to ever happen to me. In fact, I wouldn't I wouldn't hold her when she was born because I was like, I'm going to drop her. I'm going to mess her up. Something's going to go horribly wrong. It actually took one of the nurses in the hospital to literally shove her into my arms and say, I got to go do something, goodbye, and just leave me holding her. And I'm going, but, uh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, what I found out is <sighs> babies are tougher than I think. And God designed me to be a dad, even if I didn't think I could be. But I wouldn't have chosen that because I would have been scared to death to take it on my own. And the economic uncertainties that we experience right now and the social uncertainties we're experiencing right now. Faith, I think, is the weapon that we as followers of Jesus Christ have to combat it all. It allows us to move into a future that we haven't seen with a hope that cannot be shaken. Let me say that again. It allows us to move into a future we have not seen with a hope that cannot be shaken. In verse 14 of our scripture today, it says, Behold, right? Behold. It's the Hebrew word is hina or something along those lines. Um, We really can't translate or pronounce ancient Hebrew clearly because... Fun fact, there weren't any vowels. So we're, we're basing this on historical tradition. So let's just go with that. Hina, hina. That's a word that shows up over 50 times in the book of Genesis alone. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, it says, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth. In Genesis 8, 11, 
as the people of Noah's family are on the ark and they've been on the ark. If you know that story, the world is flooded. They're really the only family left and they've been on the ark. It's rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Some people think they were on the ark for 40 days. It was a whole lot longer than that. That's how long it rained. <laughs> it took a long time for the water to recede. So they've been on the ark for months on end, hoping, waiting for some sign that life was returning, that they'd be able to get off of that boat with stinking animals <laughs> and get back to life in some way, shape, or form. And in Genesis chapter 8, verse 11, it says, And the dove that they had sent out to look for land came back to him in the evening, and behold, behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. This word carries with it this sense of surprise, as if discovering something unexpected and incredible. And when Matthew references it in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, when he's, and Isaiah for that matter too, but when, when, when Matthew's references that he's saying, look, look, when he says, behold, he's saying, look, look, it, it, this really is happening. It's happened right here, right now. Remember that promise that God made so long ago that Ahaz questioned and many questioned in between and tried to rewrite and tried to put into place this human king or this human judge or this human soldier. Remember this plan that God said he had that he would show up with a baby, a baby that would grow, that would learn what it was like, as that little girl said, would learn what it was like to grow up to live on this planet, to deal with the challenges that we all deal with, the temptations and the pain and the sadness and the anger, and also experience the joys and the relationships and the families and, the, and just the beauty of a sunrise or a sunset or the grandeur of mountains off in the distance or just the sheer calm of a of a grand lake with zero wind right just he experienced life the good and the bad the seen and the unseen god sent the savior the only kind of savior the one that could really solve the problem that was both fully man and fully god that could experience life as we experienced it but could also solve the problem in a way that we never could on our own. My hope and my prayer is that as we go through this month, as we build towards our Christmas Eve service or our Christmas day, or day after Christmas too, is where we'll finish this. But if you, if you have an opportunity, my hope and my prayer is that you will follow along with us as we walk through Advent, as we behold that our Savior has come and come in a way that we could have never possibly imagined. And I hope that when it's over, you'll walk away with a faith that will allow you to step into the uncertainties of life with a hope that cannot be shaken. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and may he give you peace. God bless.